Hi, friends. Gonna not stand in front of the projector. How's everybody doing on this Cinco de Mayo? Okay, I can't make it move. Okay, um, so today, um, I'm just gonna start off with another quick word of prayer. Um, join me. Dear God, thank you for this day, and thank you for the people in this room. Um, Lord, I just ask that you would use this time to show us where you're trying to grow us. Um, I just ask that you'd show us where you're calling us into obedience, and Lord, just show us where we can lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I'm actually going to be going through Judges 7, the story of Gideon. So if you guys have your Bibles, my papers are scrambled. So find Judges 7 while I unscramble my papers. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay, so it's the story of Gideon. You guys know it, um, starting in verse 1. Then Gideon and all the troops that were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The troops with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Israel would only take the credit, saying, My own hand has delivered me. Now therefore proclaim this in the hearing of the troops. Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. Thus Gideon sifted them out. 22,000 went home. 10,000 remained. Um, so imagine who you would be. If you are in a battle of 22,000, little context, the Midianites had been oppressing Israel for seven years, um, and they're being called into this battle, and God's like, you have too many people, you'll take credit, we need less people. Um, so at this point, um, just continue to imagine that, but this is still too many soldiers. He cut the army by more than half, and God's like, hey, even with this many people, I still know you'd take credit. So I'm gonna be paraphrasing a little of chapter seven, but he sends home everyone else except for 300 soldiers that remain. So now they've got 300 people, um, which actually to me kind of seems more like an army club. Like it's not really an army, it's kind of like an extracurricular activity. <laughs> more so. um, but they've only got 300 people and they're being called into battle. Um, but that night after he's cut the army down so much, God says, get up, attack. If you're afraid, go down to the camp and your hands shall be strengthened. So Gideon musters all of his courage, he rallies his troops, and because he trusts God, he and his army win this impossible victory against the Midianites, their oppressors. Um, so again, I want you to consider who are you in this story. And I read this about these really brave people, these 300 men and Gideon, their leader, who go and win this victory that they never should have won. And I'm like, I'm for sure the group who is like, I'm scared, I'll go home now. <laughs> um, I take the easy way out like every time. Um, so I'm definitely not a Gideon. But it turns out Gideon wasn't even really a Gideon until this point in his life. Um, we need to go back, actually, one more chapter to Judges 6, where we learn a little bit about his backstory. So, um, again, we're covering a lot of territory, so I'm going to be paraphrasing a little bit. But if you look at the beginning of Judges 6, that's where we find out that the Midianites have been oppressing Israel. Um, God looked at the Israelites, and he saw that their hearts were prideful, and he said, okay, you guys need to remember who you really are, you need to remember where your power actually comes from. Um, you guys are gonna have oppressors for seven years. So we pick up with Gideon after this seven year period. Um, Gideon is actually threshing wheat inside of a wine press, as one does. <laughs> um, you guys know all about it. Um, so really what that means is that he's hiding in like a barrel, doing the thing that you wouldn't normally do in a barrel, um, because he's afraid. So this guy who one chapter later is going to take on this huge army is like actually hiding from these same oppressors. 
Um, and what's awesome is that then this angel of the Lord meets him there. And he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Which I feel like if I was Gideon, I'd be like, why is this angel being sarcastic? <laughs> like I'm hiding. Um, but he wasn't. Uh, the angel was speaking to him with the identity that God had given him and the job that God already knew he would do, um, and not in the identity that he was currently living in. Um, so just think about that. Like, have you ever been in a situation in your life where you felt like God had the wrong person? Like, the calling that maybe you'd received earlier or the identity you know that you have deep down just don't match up with the way you're living now. They don't match up with the person you are. Um, me too. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to share a little bit of my story with you guys because I think it's really important to know how, um, how it feels and what it looks like for God to build a leader and to build a servant, almost more importantly, through our lives and through our stories. Um, I was raised in Denver. Um, I have a really awesome Christian family. I mean, not without its problems, but um, I was raised from a really early age to like know the gospel really deeply. I think that's one of the greatest gifts that God has given me is that I like knew him when I was super young. So from like preschool age, I remember having these dreams about sharing the gospel with people. Um, I like thought I was going to be a missionary from a really young age and in first grade. This is a fun family story, but I drew this picture of a dream I had where I was getting killed for sharing the gospel. Um, so it was like a super weird parent-teacher conference, but like my teacher brought my parents in and she was like, um, I don't, I don't know. It was a Christian school, so it was kind of okay, but point being, I like knew who I was and I like knew God had called me these big things from such a young age that that kind of framed who I was at that point. And then middle school happened. Raise your hand if you loved middle school. One, one hand. Two, I love it. Obviously the minority. Um, did not love middle school. Um, but that was kind of the stage in my life where I think I started to please people. And I realized that like sharing your faith, sharing the gospel, um, kind of involves telling people that there's sin in their life. And it's really hard to please people and share the gospel at the same time. Um, so that's kind of where the life trajectory started, started uh, shifting. And that's where I started losing track of really who I was meant to be when then high school hit. And as I'm sure a lot of you guys know, it doesn't really get easier. Um, I think it gets even more difficult to really be the person God created you to be. So I thought I was growing in my faith. I knew all the theology. I had an awesome youth group. I really do think I had a relationship with Christ, but it was so limited to certain places and certain people. And it took a really long time for me to share my faith with my non-Christian friends. But none of this really changed. So by the time I got to college, um, I kind of remembered who God had called me to be from when I was a little kid, but I also knew I wasn't that person. And so I had this immense guilt, like I let God down, like you can let God down. <laughs> um, but I had this guilt and I had this loss of identity and I also had this deep need to always please people and the enemy kind of created this perfect storm in my life um, that would eventually lead to a long struggle with an eating disorder. And if you guys were in Catalina, you heard a little of that story. Um, but that's really where I ended up, and I couldn't see the connection between who God had called me to be and who I actually ended up at that moment. Um, and it was the same with Gideon. So God knew who he created this man to, me, to be. He was a mighty warrior. Um, but Gideon knew he wasn't that person. He was a coward hiding in a barrel. Um, so how do we get from A to B? How do we get from Gideon A in chapter 6 to Gideon B in chapter 7, where he's conquering all of these people? Um, well, if you look at what happens next in Judges 6, a couple of verses after we find him hiding in the wine press, 
um, we find out the step that had to happen between point A Gideon and point B Gideon is destruction of idols. And that's exactly what God called him to. Um, so that brings me to the next important thing about Gideon's journey. You cannot have idols standing in your life and expect to fight valiantly in the battle. My eating disorder became my everything. Uh, the real idol was controlling how people saw me, how they perceived me. Um, if I could be skinny enough and athletic enough and healthy enough, that was like my thing. That was something I knew I could excel at. Um, and during this time, I was on chapel band with Joel. That's where we became friends, kind of, maybe. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I was leading a ministry that works with low-income like immigrant families, and it was really cool. And that's where I started dating Tanner, who, spoiler alert, I married. Um, but my wow. point is, <laughs> I had all of these things going for me in my life that I think were opportunities from God. Um, and I look back, and I just feel like I wasted them. Like, I feel like I wasn't that delightful in chapel band. You want to comment? Was I delightful? <laughs> um, I don't think I had the best attitude, uh, is the point. Um, <laughs> and so I, I had all these chances, and I, I wasted them because sin makes you selfish, and idolatry makes you focus on you, and God could give you all the opportunities in the world, but if you're focused on your idol, you can't be effective. It's just not how it works. And so the one thing that I thought would make me okay actually caused me to fail miserably at almost everything. <laughs> um, and see, after Gideon receives his call from the Lord, God calls him to tear down the idols of his father. So they had been worshiping these other, the Midianite idols. They built these sacred poles to commemorate that they um, were worshiping them. And they made a point to kind of set up these altars throughout their communities. And Gideon has to go tear them down. That's his call. But Gideon, this mighty warrior, doesn't even go during the day. He goes during the night because he doesn't want anyone to see him. Um, and you might think like, oh, well, that's not really what God asked you to do. Like, you should have done it boldly. But what's really cool is that even this small, tiny amount of obedience makes the difference. Um, the people were initially really mad. They wanted to kill him. But ultimately, <laughs> it leads to them seeing that if their idols were really that powerful, then why were they so easy to destroy? Um, so ultimately, the scary, scary thing leads all of these people into seeing that their idols were weak. Um, and it leads them to be willing to follow Gideon into battle. Um, and similarly, I feel like God showed me how weak my idols were by bringing me to a super low point in my life. Um, I honestly kind of obliterated a lot of meaningful relationships in my life during this season. Um, I destroyed my own body, like literally. Um, I lost sight of all the other dreams that God may have put in my heart before that. Um, and I feel like it was God just kind of tapping on my heart like, not really working, you know? Like, you're not super happy. Um, and just maybe as a sidebar, but I think it's important to just say, like, the second you start giving up ground in your heart to idolatry and sin, like, you kind of put yourself on this downward spiral. Um, just like the Israelites, you think that you're making idols out of stone or gold, like the golden calf. Like, you think you've made it out of the substance that you're in charge of. Um, but no matter what, no matter what your idol is, if it's relationships, if it's your sexual identity, if it's money, success, grades, at some point, that thing starts dictating your internal compass, and that's the thing that you're serving. So I think I talked to a lot of high schoolers, but I also talked to a lot of college students because that's what my husband does. Um, he's the college pastor. Anyway, um, but you kind of have this idea that like, okay, I want to have fun right now. I want to just like do the thing that I want to do. So I'm going to just like put my faith over here, and I'll do this. 
it's almost like you think you're getting on a merry-go-round. Like, okay, we'll just have some fun on the merry-go-round, we'll go around a couple times, pick back up where we left off. But sin and idolatry, they're a train. So you step onto this train, it starts moving. By the time you realize you're not in control of this train at all, you've already gotten pretty far off course, and you have to get back, and you've got all this baggage now. So it's not a neutral. There's no um, neutral within. You're gonna end up trapped in oppression, and you must destroy the idols, or the idols will destroy you. Um, so at my lowest point, I remember with such detail where I was, um, I was in Istanbul, Turkey, which is weird, um, but <laughs> that's where I studied abroad, and then I went back after graduation to work for a couple of months with a refugee organization, but um, I couldn't sleep, and I was terrified of eating, and I'm surrounded by people. Um, you guys have been on mission trips, a lot of you, like, if you just like didn't eat that whole time, like people would notice, and I knew that, and I was like freaking out, like just the anxiety of it all. Um, so I woke up at like 4 a.m. every day for some reason, whether jet lag or stress, I don't know. And it's like dark, and I'm alone, and I tried to watch TV, but it was in Turkish. <laughs> so <laughs> um, the Bible, that's what I had. And God led me to the book of Hosea, um, which if you guys want to read it, it's so beautiful. It might require a little bit of like context. So I highly recommend talking to one of your counselors about that if you are. But um, it's all about how Israel continuously rejects God and he continues to pursue them. Like over and over and over again in like these horrendously painful ways, God continues to go after his people. And there's this verse, um, Hosea 2.14, that says God draws his people out into the wilderness to speak tenderly to them. And I just like knew. I was like, oh man, I'm like in a wilderness right now. Like I'm afraid and I'm alone. Um, and I kind of just broke down. And in the middle of that, I remember God calling me to eat which sounds like <laughs> now, even though I know my own story, like it's kind of funny, like what if the biggest calling I ever get in my life is just like to eat? <laughs> I feel like a lot of people would be like, sign me up. Um, but yeah, um, I'd been in this wilderness and things just like weren't going okay. So I decided to try God's way. I ate, it was terrifying. I gained a lot of weight really fast, which if you've ever struggled with an eating disorder or know anyone who has, like that's a very emotionally harrowing experience. Um, but I also got to see that like people still loved me. Um, people were still there. Um, God still had plans for my life. And I actually felt like I was effective in service on that mission trip for the first time in like years. Um, so it was kind of this crazy story. But I think it just shows, both through Gideon's story and even what I've seen in my own life, that the tiniest amount of obedience is enough faith for God to equip us to lead and serve in a world that desperately needs us to be leaders and servants. Um, I'm going to say that again. The tiniest amount of obedience shows enough faith in God that he can equip us to lead and serve in a world that desperately needs us to be leaders and servants. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect people, amazing from that day forward, nothing else, you know, you're good to go. Um, no, it doesn't. And Gideon's story actually shows that too. Um, so now we're kind of in the second part of Gideon 6, or Judges 6. <laughs> I keep doing that. Um, so he goes from hiding to tearing down all these idols, to now God saying, okay, now it's time. Like, I need you to go up against the Midianites and free your people from oppression. And he's like, I need a sign. I need you to give me another sign. Which to me is like crazy because he's already seen God move so much. Like a literal angel came to him. Um, but then he picks like the weirdest sign possible. He's like, God, if I'm supposed to do this and you're going to be with me, I'm going to put some sheepskin in a field. <laughs> and I need you to make that sheepskin absorb all the dew, so make the sheepskin all wet and the ground will be dry. Um, which again, I'm like, 
You weren't like, hey, can you light that on fire or like ride it in the sky or like send a person? No, Gideon wanted the sheepskin. So anyway, God did it. Um, God made that sign happen. So Gideon knew that he was with him. And then Gideon, again, this mighty warrior, he's like, no, 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 do it again. But this time, the ground is going to be wet and the fleece is going to be dry. I don't know. But God does it again. Like God comes through for him the fifth time, I guess, at this point. It's so crazy. Um, and I'm kind of annoyed with Gideon at this point. So I feel like God must have been, but he wasn't because God is really nice. Um, <laughs> so it just shows like God is incredibly patient with us as we step into our identities. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. Um, it takes a lot of bravery and courage to get rid of your idols and to step into who you were made to be. But God is there with you. And I don't think God was um, being tested by Gideon. If you read other parts of the Bible, it says you shouldn't put, test God. But I think what Gideon was doing was saying like, God, I want to be this person, but I'm afraid. Like, I just need you to show me that you're there. And God did it many times over. But now it's time, you know? Um, for me and my story, even after I knew God wanted to heal me, it was a long time of feeling like I wasn't worthy, um, feeling like I had fallen too far from the person that he wanted me to be. And um, again, just that guilt of feeling like you let God down and he moved on, you know? Um, and he actually used people in my life kind of as these signs of his presence. So Tanner being a huge one, but also um, some friends who would write me these notes, just kind of affirming, like, if they can still love me, if they can still see a future for me, then, like, how much more can God in his perfection and his love for us have a future and a purpose and a love for you? Um, and that's really where it all changed. Like, that's where the change started to come. It, it took a while. Um, but yeah, guys, it's a process. God knew I was too weak to fully step into my identity at that point. But he was patient, and he sent those signs. Um, the two chapters we get about Gideon make it seem like one day he's like hiding, the next day he's fighting in this battle. But it really can take years. It can take years to figure out who you really are and what that looks like in your life. But after all of this, after Gideon's calling, his doubt, the miracles, the removal of idols, now it's time for him to go earn that identity that God had given him as a mighty warrior. Um, so if you remember the story that we went through at the beginning, Gideon, called, or he's called to lead his people into battle. Um, he's, he's afraid, but God shows him, like, I'm here with you. Um, and he basically says, hey, if you win with 32,000 soldiers, you're going to think it was you. So I need to cut it down by, like, more than half, which must have been scary by itself. Like, I kind of would have been like, I thought we were going to be good like that, but all right. Um, so then after, after that point, God again says, too much, too many people, gives them 300 soldiers to go up against these people who have been oppressing them for seven years. So it's not like they're weak. It's not like they're a small army. It's not like they're not afraid. It's these people who have been in control of them and making their lives hard for seven years. Um, and yet, if you pick back up in verse 9, God says to Gideon, get up, attack the camp, for I've given it into your hand. Gideon gets up, he rallies his troops, and they defeat this gigantic army. Um, they just needed to believe God when he said, I have given the victory into your hand. Um, so I know we're telling battle stories, kind of the whole deal, war stories. Um, so it might be tempting to look at my story and say like, oh, you beat your eating disorder, great job. Um, but I actually don't, I don't think that that's the battle. Um, I think the battle is now. Um, I think my battle story is in progress um, because it wasn't over when I faced my idols and it wasn't over when I 
went to God and finally figured out like who he wants me to be. Like I'm still figuring a lot of that stuff out, honestly. Um, but just like Gideon, you have your calling, you come to know Jesus as your savior, and he gives you a plan and he directs your steps. Um, he helps you get rid of the idols in your life and he gives you signs that he's present. He's shown me so many times that he's with me. Um, but now the battle is using your life and your story to display impossible victory to others. Um, Gideon started out fighting for his own identity, for his own faith, for his own life. And by the end of the story, he's fighting to bring freedom to his people, to his community, to his friends and his family. Um, and that's really what it's about. It's allowing God to use your unique story to bring freedom to the people around you. That's honestly where I feel like God has me now, and that's where he's going to use your life too. Um, but fighting in battle whether it's against idols or whether it is on behalf of people that you care about and the people in your community, um, it's not easy and you stand a chance of getting hurt. Um, so they're never gonna be pretty stories. Um, my story is actually a lot messier than I even really have time to get into today. Um, but they're bloody, they're painful, they're hard. Uh, you don't get out without a scratch. And there's a lot of darkness in the world we live in, so it's gonna be hard. Like, it really is. It's gonna require your life but your other option's giving in. There's not an in-between. You either fight, you take on darkness, you take on your idols, or you're destroyed. Um, so it's that, or else a couple of battle scars. And just like he did for Gideon, who needed faith, God will provide you with faith in relation to your call. God wants to work a miracle in your life. He wants you to trust him enough to destroy your idols and attempt impossible things. And you don't get to take credit for it. Like, you might end up standing in front of a room of high schoolers, like, I'm the worst. But look, what God did. He's the best. Um, that's what it means to give God the glory. That's what it means for Christ to be glorified in our weaknesses. And a lot of times, guys, like, this is what it looks like to share your faith with your friends. It's to, like, tell your story, what you've been through, so that they can find the same freedom that you've managed to find. God wanted to use your life for huge things so much that he literally sacrificed his son for them when Jesus died on the cross. Um, he already won victory over the ultimate enemy, um, death. So you can believe him when he says to you, get up, fight the battle. I've already given victory into your hand. Um, so the last thing I want to leave you with from Hebrews 10:39, We are not among those who shrink back and so are lost, but among those who have faith and are so saved. God has already given you the victory. He already calls you a mighty warrior. Don't shrink back.